You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. We've got lots to talk about in today's program. Later on, uh, we'll be chatting with the uh, the folks over at Deloitte about privacy for sale to the highest bidder in the uh, digital age. We'll also be chatting uh, about a, a smart bike. And uh, we also have uh, Matthew Johnson on later on from mediasmarts.ca. Uh, to share or not to share how teens make privacy decisions about photos on social media. But right now, we've uh, got one of our friends on the line. His name is Jim Barry, Consumer Technology Association's Digital Answer Man. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Hey, guys. Nice to be with you. So we wanted to bring you on. Uh, Mother's Day is uh, upon Mm -hmm. us, and uh, you're the man to talk to with uh, some uh, Mother's Day tech gift ideas. Yes, you know, this has really become one of the busiest times of the year uh, for buying tech, um, springtime. Uh, for years, of course, there was what we used to call dads and grads, uh, graduations and Father's Day gifts. But in the last several years, it's really become moms, dads and grads. And with Mother's Day coming up uh, in just over a week, um, tech has become a really big part of the shopping for Mother's Day this year. In the U.S., Mother's Day shopping is going to be a $20 billion business, and more than 10% of that, over $2 billion, is going to be in technology. So we're going to, moms who are looking for it are probably going to get uh, maybe a new tablet or a new smartphone or a nice fashion case for one of those or a new personal digital assistant. So the, all those tech devices um, are really becoming a big part of the Mother's Day gift season. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, just a few years ago, I think if uh, uh, I, I gave my wife uh, something techy for Mother's Day, she wouldn't be very happy <laughs> about it. But, um, I know. Uh, but, you know, that's changing, definitely. So what are some, some hot items? Yeah. Well, you know, you're right about that. And, and the other part of it is that this is 10% of it. So you don't want to forget uh, those flowers and the chocolates and the nice out at, uh, to dinner and so forth. Um, but a few things I mentioned. One might be a new tablet. You know, tablets, of course, you've got uh, iPads, uh, Samsung, you've got Amazon Kindle uh, Fires. You've got plenty of uh, choices in tablets, and moms find them really easy to use to keep track of, of uh, what's going on as for entertainment and fun. Um, uh, smartphones, of course. I saw another survey that showed more than uh, 50% of moms have smartphones, um, or 50% more moms have smartphones than the general population. So again, they really like those to, um, uh, to keep track of all the busy stuff. Another thing um, that a lot of moms have gotten into the last couple of years and might want to be looking for an upgrade or a new fashion band would be one of these fitness wristbands, you know, the Fitbits, uh, the Alta. new one has both heart rates as well as sleep. And uh, from personal experience, I, I know some moms who said when they started wearing those, they found out how far they were actually, how many steps they were making, <laughs> even without counting uh, the running and the walking and the jogging and stuff, just being a mom. Well, you know, and the interesting thing uh, with, uh, you know, a lot of the things uh, we'll be talking about, it's just the whole fashion aspect uh, of it uh, as well. Yeah. A lot of these fitness bands and smart watches uh, that monitor your health, they don't look crazy anymore. They don't look like you're wearing like some sort of robotic thing. They actually have fashionable uh, straps and, and, and what have you. 
Yes, and, and the smart watches, too. You know, smart watches have been kind of a slow take. You know, the Apple Watch kind of growing along. People expect everything that Apple introduces to go through the roof, like the iPod, iPhone, and iPad. The watch has been, the Apple Watch has been much slower, but there are lots and lots of watches to choose from, uh, from many other companies as well. So, and, and you're right, the fashion part of that, you can change out the bands. You can um, use one uh, for dress-up or another one just for a workout or just uh, going to the soccer game. You know, and and a simple gift idea that I always give this, uh, just even like mm-hmm. a, a new charging cable, like, you know, for your yeah. iPhone. Like, you yeah. can never have too many of those because they're constantly uh, uh, getting lost uh, or, or breaking for that matter. So Absolutely right. And, you know, here's another really inexpensive one uh, for 10 bucks. Uh, there's a product called the Nest. Now, not the Nest thermostat. I'm not talking about the Nest. This is a an untangler for earbud cords. So you can just put your earbuds in there and it untangles those cords. I think everybody has had the experience of having their earbuds. Maybe they put them in a, uh, a pocket or a purse uh, or a wallet and they get all tangled up. Now, this will automatically untangle them. It's only 10 bucks. Uh, so that's a neat uh, gift. And you mentioned the charging cords. Also, backup chargers. You know, this, uh, these really nice, in many cases, fashion from some of the designers and so forth, uh, charging wallets, a really nice wallet. Uh, would be a, a new wallet, a gift for mom, uh, that also has a little backup charge built into it. Uh, Andy, have you given your mom a tech item ever? Well, you know, for, it's funny. Mother's Day? <laughs> it's, it's funny. You guys are all talking about getting moms like tablets and, and smartphones. But one yeah. thing I think you guys are missing is that you have to give your mom good Wi-Fi. So why don't you upgrade your mom's <laughs> router? She and, won't care about that. No, she will once yeah. she realizes that those oh, dead spots will, yeah. are, are, are gone. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do this year. My mom uh, has one of those... Um, the, the routers are provided by the ISP, one of the gateway boxes. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go and upgrade her router system so that she has Wi-Fi. And me, when I go there, I have Wi-Fi everywhere. And so. you, uh, there's the alternative. <laughs> there's the catch right there. Oh, your mom's no, going to love you, Andy. <laughs> you, you, you know, that's really a great idea, though. That's one of the things that, you know, to upgrade the experience, you know, to give a better experience that you might not think of. I think that's a great idea, Andy. Uh, another one is the, you know, the personal digital assistants, whether it's the Amazon Echo Alexa or the Google Home, and there'll be plenty of others to choose from over the next year or so in that marketplace, I'm sure. But everybody I know that's ha- used one of those, once they use it for a while, uh, they find uh, that it's really very, very useful and they use it all the time. Another thing that uh, I'm actually looking at, uh, you know, getting uh, my mom, hopefully she's not listening, uh, is uh, a, di- a digital picture frame yes. uh, that connects uh, with your Wi-Fi and to your uh, your um, your picture accounts, uh, whether that's uh, you know yeah. through Facebook or uh, Google uh, Pictures. Uh, you know they've come a long that way. These a, things, yeah, and you know those have been around for a while, and but they are really great. And you're absolutely right. You can update them. You can you mentioned you know upgrading the Wi-Fi. Get that, and then automatically. You know, if it's grandma, for instance, you can send her pictures of the grandkids on a regular basis and update those every day. There are different sizes. There are ones that you can just set, uh, put a little SD card into and update them that way and have a little picture um, montage going on one after the other. So there's lots of choices there. And again, some of those start as little as 50 bucks or less. 
You know, to get a really good one, uh, you're probably talking more like $150, but there's something that is going to last a lot longer than either the flowers or the box of chocolates. You know, Jim, it's always a pleasure to uh, have you on the show. Uh, Where can people find out more information about you and uh, all the cool tech stuff? CTA.tech is the association's website, CTA.tech, and you can follow me on Twitter at CTA Answer Man. That's Jim Barry, our digital answer man from the Consumer Technology Association. We still got lots to talk about today on Get Connected Radio. Later on, uh, we'll be talking with the folks at MediaSmarts.ca on uh, teenagers, uh, how uh, they're making privacy decisions uh, regarding their photos uh, on things like Facebook uh, and Instagram. A really fascinating discussion. Uh, we'll also be talking about a new smart bike. What what is that all about? And Andy, quickly the contest. We got a fabulous contest, probably the best contest we've ever done. We're giving away a slew of products from TP-Link and basically doing a smart home makeover. All you have to do is go to our Facebook page, just search for Get Connected Media, all one word, in Facebook, like our page. Over there, you're going to see the contest for the TP-Link smart home. What we're going to do is basically give you an array of smart home products that you can install in your house and retrofit it and make it a smart home. Again, go to our Facebook page. That's where we're hosting the contest, facebook.com, and then just search Get Connected Media, all one word, and like our page to enter our TP-Link Smart Home Makeover Contest. A lot more tech to talk. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio. Still lots of tech to talk today. Later on in the program, of course, we've got Christina coming in with her app of the week. We're also going to explore how teens make privacy decisions about photos on social media. It's uh, super interesting. Uh, Also, uh, Anthony Vale uh, from Deloitte uh, talking about privacy for sale to the highest bidder. Something I think we should all be concerned about, especially uh, as our world gets more and more connected digitally. On the line now, we've uh, got a cool guest, uh, Soheb Zahid. He's the co-founder and CEO at Van Hawks. Thanks for joining us, Soheb. Thank you so much for having me. So we wanted to get you on the program because you guys have developed a smart bike. What What is a smart bike? Absolutely. So what the bike does for the user is the idea is all about making you safe on the road. Uh, So it takes a lot of information from the ride uh, sensors which are in the bike, and we collect all that ride metrics, plug it back into our routing engine to suggest you safer, smarter routes. Think of it as a virtual pat on the back before you even start riding the bike. And is this thing connected in through a smartphone app? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's connected through your smartphone, um, and that's where the dashboard uh, for any input resides. Very cool. So let's talk about some of the, the sensors that you have built into this uh, this bike. What, what are we looking at? So from the consumer standpoint, uh, there's a turn-by-turn navigation, uh, which is right onto the handlebar through LED bikes, takes the information from the back-end server. Uh, in terms of gathering data from the road itself, there's the accelerometer, magnetometer, uh, GPS, um, tracking sensor for the speed, um, as well as light sensors uh, to turn the lights on and off automatically. So there's a front and rear light for safety as well. Cool. So this this isn't going to drive by itself, though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's still a push pedal bike. Yes. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a bicycle. 
Very cool. What do you think, Annie? Would you would you ride a smart bike? Well, well, I do have a question. Yeah, you mentioned that it does connect to your smartphone, and we talk a lot about distracted driving for people in vehicles. How have you been able to mandate that or, or curb that that uh, distracted driving issues when you're on a push bicycle? So that was the biggest challenge that we had when we were designing this bicycle. There is no screen on the bike. Everything is done through the phone, pre-ride. Once you input your destination, you put the phone in the pocket, and everything is done through the LEDs on the bike. So these are like cues before you turn along with haptic feedback in the handlebar. So the bike will actually let you know when to turn. Um, in future updates that we're working on, you don't even need the phone with you. So you just go out and ride. And when you're back in any trusted network, the bike will upload all the data uh, onto the server and onto your account. So really, you don't have to have the phone out. Uh, something that was interesting to me, uh, blind spot detection sensors. How, how do they work? So they do work based on sound. They're the same sensors uh, that are found in cars and they're analog sensors. So, so we've been experimenting with them uh, for quite a while. Uh, we, we've written software and algorithms. And we don't think that they're the best way to communicate safety uh, to the rider. So for future updates, we, we have them turned off from the software side. And we are bringing something new in terms of communicating and letting your position known to other vehicles. So with, with all this extra stuff built into it, is this, is this uh, make the bike heavier? I mean, who is this aimed at? Are these uh, just for casual riders or, or people that are uh, into fitness? So, uh, so if anybody who's into fitness can uh, definitely own a bike since it's a push pedal bike. But it's really uh, targeted towards the audience who wants to use bike uh, for the daily commute. Uh, back and forth to work, uh, run errands. Uh, someone who's living in a downtown core uh, doesn't ride more than like 10, 15 kilometers. I have a question. Um, you, you mentioned all these features inside the handlebars and the lights. What is powering all of this? Uh, it is still a push bike, but where's all the, the power coming from? So we have a dynamo generator in the front wheel. So as you ride, it keeps the power consumption on a steady pace. So if you're a regular rider, you might not have to charge your bike. Uh, but if you don't ride it on a regular basis, then there's also an option of plug-in through the wall charger. Um, and the battery lasts you uh, for a week's time, so you might not have to charge it at least once a week. And I, I also understand that you have the ability to communicate with other bike riders. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the idea is to let other people know about your city more. So if you're a great rider and you know the city better and you know the routes better, so we want to upload those rides and suggest them to other riders. Um, so the bike communicates uh, all the data that they're collecting. We parse it on our back end, and then uh, we let other riders use it for safer, smarter routes, which are suggested by people around you. Um, in terms of bike-to-bike uh, -bike communication, we're looking to bring uh, some sort of functionality uh, to the bike where uh, the bike can let other bikes know of its presence. Um, but that's something in the works for the future software update. Uh, we're also looking into connecting the bike with open Wi-Fi networks in the city. So, 
Now, despite, if, if, uh, sorry. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so we're also looking to to connect the bike with open Wi-Fi networks to to fight uh, theft deterrence or, or a theft in the bike. It's it's not a foolproof system, but it's a system to let you know where the bike is. Now, I remember seeing this on Kickstarter a couple of years ago. Obviously, uh, things have worked out for you, but uh, I also understand you made a recent partnership to help kind of mass produce this. Uh, tell us a little bit about that partnership. So we recently got acquired by an Ontario-based uh, company called Warren Industries. Uh, and Warren and uh, Van Hoss, we do share a common vision of the future urban transportation. And we do think that it is going to be a multimodal uh, uh, strategy to move in the city, and Warren is is an auto manufacturer, uh, auto parts manufacturer. Um, so they do bring a lot of uh, expertise from manufacturing, procurement, and supply chain. Um, and and we're looking forward to this partnership to to make our uh, supply chain more robust, our manufacturing capabilities much more robust uh, coming in the future. Talking with uh, Soheb Zahid, co-founder and CEO at Van Hawks, about the new Van Hawks Valor, a uh, carbon fiber smart bike. Where can people find out more information, Soheb? You can go on our website, www.vanhawks.com, uh, to find more about uh, Van Hawks. You can also follow us on Twitter, uh, at Van Hawks. Very cool. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We still have lots more tech to talk today on Get Connected Radio. Mike and Andy here in studio. We'll have uh, Christina on later in the program to talk about her app of the week. And do you ever wonder how teens make privacy decisions about their photos on social media? It's uh, it's fascinating stuff. We're going to be talking with Matthew Johnson, director over uh, at MediaSmarts.ca. And uh, after the next break here, this is going to be... A super important topic uh, in in this world now, privacy. Privacy for sale to the highest bidder. We've uh, got Anthony Vale at uh, Deloitte uh, talking about this new report and uh, what it means uh, for all of us. When we come back from the break, more tech. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio. Still lots of tech to talk. Later on, we'll uh, be talking about teens and how they're making privacy decisions about sharing their photos on social media. And, of course, we've uh, got Christina Soyanova in uh, with her app of the week as well. But right now I want to talk about something that I think we should all be concerned about, privacy. On the line we've got Anthony Veal. He's Managing Partner and Financial uh, Advisory over at uh, Deloitte. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. It's a pleasure. So uh, this is a fascinating report. And, you know, we talk a lot about privacy uh, on our show because everything is so connected now. Our information is just kind of out there digitally in so many different places. So what was the uh, the purpose of the report? Yeah, it's true. Uh, and touching on uh, where you started there, we're producing so much data. We're leaving so much data behind us, if you will. Uh, some people refer to it as data exhaust. And uh, organizations, uh, commercial and private and public, are actually tr- uh, collecting and using this information. And one of the, uh, one of the key imperatives of capturing this information and organizing it is what return on investment are we getting from it? Are we able to provide a better service, a better experience for our customers, consumers, and constituents? And uh, and in the course of trying to do that, um, they uh, we we decided to do this survey to provide some guidance on what they should be doing with that data. Well, you've got a few uh, different uh, topics inside of this report, and one of them, uh, maybe you can explain this to me. Legal use may be may not be ethical. What does what does that mean? 
Yeah, I, I mean, uh, a lot of organisations know the, the legal line on how you can and can't use data, but this is more about uh, when the consumer, constituent or customer understands how you're legally using the data, but they're still not happy uh, with that. So you would you would understand that uh, you, you, you sign or agree to various waivers um, when you leave your data in, in certain applications, uh, but when it is then used to, say, uh, market to you, um, market particular products to you, you mightn't be comfortable um, with some of the findings that can come from that data. So we wanted to provide some guidance on, you know, where that comfort line is. Um, uh, some people have described it as a creepy line, uh, which is quite a bit different from the legal, the legal line, if you will. You know, it's interesting because uh, we are sharing our information in so many different places, and we're constantly accepting terms and conditions and user agreements, but. Uh, you know, it's almost difficult for consumers to really navigate that because who who is reading it? Like, you'd have to read pages and pages, and a lot of times it's in gobbledygook legal speak that people aren't understanding. I think that's a that's a fair comment, and, you're, and if you've seen from our study, we we we, we uh, threw in the hypothetical to our survey participants about the use of social media uh, for the purposes of insurance and. Uh, we tested um, to what extent uh, would consumers um, be happy with the use of that data to determine things like um, premium uh, and or claim for that matter. And uh, it was interesting to see in the survey that um, uh, the consumers were willing to trade the use of that data for a better deal, um, for a better service, if you will. Um, so, yes, um, very much, very much it is, it is uh, uh, normally an afterthought for, for most consumers signing that. And so what does it mean navigating the grey zones? This is another kind of uh, area in the report. Uh, we, we described the grey zone between the <laughs> the legal line, if you will, yep. and what is the comfort or creepy line. So somewhere between the two, we, we describe it as grey. And it's a how, do you, how do you get the best return out of your data and analytics investments to the extent that your consumers, constituents, and customers are comfortable? Well, you know, you look at all these companies that people are dealing with uh, online, everything from, uh, you know, insurance companies to uh, e-commerce, uh, you know, and there are some cases of, uh, you know, these companies being unethical. Uh, how is unethical behavior punished? Uh, the survey, that was a, that's a great question. The survey, we asked specific questions to sort of say, if, you, if your trust is breached, and that's the trust between the individual consumer uh, and the organisation, and the trust is in the context of the use of that personal information, if the trust is breached, 90% of participants will sever their ties with the organisation, which, which is a big deal, uh, as you'd understand. And, and we've seen a good level of consistency across the six countries that we survey. Because uh, one of the one of the uh, things that we we're looking to do was to provide Canadian organisations with a comparator uh, analysis, such that when they're making their decisions on how to, how to use data, um, they could see how they compare with their global peers. Anthony, do you see any kind of like regional or cultural or differences within countries when it comes to our data and how we want to share it? Uh, yeah, we do. We do. Um, remember, uh, uh, Canadian, uh, Canadian organisations uh, lead the lead the world when it comes to privacy, and uh, in many regards, many organ uh, countries actually look at Canada um, for guidance uh, in that particular way. 
Um, but the yeah, we we did see differences. There is some conservative, more conservative countries uh, than Canada, and more liberal countries in Canada. And but the, the the difference is not significant, or what we describe as significant. Similarly, across um, uh, dem demographics, if you will, uh, we didn't see um, we didn't see a great variation between that nor age groups. Uh, so the underlying takeaway is that. You know, if you do the wrong thing by data, and it's an individual thing, if you do the wrong thing uh, with the use of data for an individual, um, uh, you you will breach trust, and that'll cost you. Do we have uh, do we have privacy anymore? <laughs> <laughs> that's an ex that's an excellent question. I mean, um, uh, we we certainly leave a lot of data behind us, and even if we don't attribute it to an individual. Um, we can, we can, we can, um, for want of a better word, we can, we can make bets not knowing the individual, but using this anonymous data that you leave behind, uh, right from your cell phone. And, and, uh, I think that's a fair observation. But, you know, is it, do, can businesses become so large that it doesn't matter if they're playing fast and loose with uh, private information. I looked, uh, you know, Facebook, there was a story uh, in the past week uh, down in Australia. They were sharing uh, with one of the top banks, uh, you know, how they could target, uh, you know, emo emotionally vulnerable teenagers. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that, uh, and that, that very problem and that very use of, of information in that particular way is, is, you know, comes back to what you know. What is the value exchange? Are, are, are you are you happy to exchange your data for better value and service? And and our survey says that if you if you are happy for that and you get your service, um, then then everything is okay. Um, if you if you don't get that that balance or that value exchange, then um, then you you will have issues with your consumers, um, with your customers, or, or your constituents. And, uh, I think that's, yeah, as I said, that's that's what we tried to answer with the survey to give guidance. Fascinating stuff, uh, Anthony. Where can people find out more information about this this survey? Uh, we can uh, Deloitte website um, uh, www.deloitte.ca, and uh, we have the actual uh, study there. And uh, as I said, it was completed in six countries, six thousand um, constituents, if you will. Um, so it's a uh, statistically uh, valid findings to, to give you um, an understanding of what, what is acceptable these days. Thanks for joining us, Anthony. It's a pleasure. That was Anthony Veal, managing partner over at uh, Deloitte, talking about uh, privacy for sale to the highest bidder. When we come back from the break, we still have lots of tech to talk, including App of the Week from Christina and also our friend Matthew Johnson uh, over at Mediasmarts.ca about teenagers uh, making privacy decisions with their photos on social media. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio. Still lots of tech to talk, including Christina Stoyanova later on the program with her app of the week, so stay tuned for that. On the line right now, we've got Matthew Johnson. He's the director. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio. Still lots of tech to talk, including Christina Stoyanova later on the program with her app of the week, so stay tuned for that. On the line right now, we've got Matthew Johnson. He's the Director of Education at Mediasmarts.ca. And uh, they have a new uh, study, To Share or Not to Share, How Teens Make Privacy Decisions About Photos on Social Media. Thanks for joining us today, Matthew. My pleasure. So do they actually make a privacy decision or do they just post everything? 
You know, they actually really do. Um, we were really interested to find the tremendous amount of thought and effort uh, that go they put into every single photo that they take, and indeed every single photo that they share, because, you know, they take a lot more uh, photos than they share, and they put a lot of thought into where they're sharing them and how they're sharing them and with whom. I find that fascinating because I, uh, I have teenagers uh, in, in my home, and they are constantly snapping pictures. So using that, obviously, for Snapchat, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, it seems like they're taking hundreds of pictures a day. So I just kind of assume that they're all going up there. Yeah, we had as well. And it was really interesting to learn that uh, in the case of Instagram, for instance, a lot of the participants in our study said that on average they might only post one photo a day out of, as you say, the many photos that they take. Um, and part of that is that they really do distinguish very much between the platforms. They use different platforms for different purposes and to reach different audiences. So they would, for instance, post a lot more on Snapchat than on Instagram because they saw them as having very different purposes. And the photos that they chose to share on those two different platforms were very different as well. Well, Snapchat is interesting, and uh, I don't think a lot of our listeners uh, use Snapchat. We have probably a, a bit of an older audience. I'm trying to use it to be cool with the other kids in my office. I'm not getting there yet, Andy. I'll, I'll send you snaps. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on this too, Mike. Okay, don't worry. So Snapchat is a kind of a, a messaging platform for you know doing direct messages uh, with your friends, uh, groups of friends, and even telling stories. But I think one of the... Um, the big features that made Snapchat so popular is that uh, once you send that that message with your picture, uh, it disappears in 10 seconds and then it's gone. That's right. You can change the amount of time it takes, um, and some of the features on Snapchat uh, last longer, so a Snapchat story lasts longer. But in general, yeah, that is the selling point of Snapchat, is uh, that the photos are temporary by nature. And what we found really interesting about that was that the the participants in the study didn't really put a lot of stock in that as a technical tool for protecting their privacy, mm. but they really valued it as a sort of a social signal to their friends or whoever they were sharing with that these photos were not to be saved and indeed that these photos were not to be taken too seriously. Well, I know one of the features of Snapchat is, uh, you know, uh, again, those pictures disappear, but you can capture them on the receiving end by taking a screenshot of of your screen, but uh, the user who sent it actually gets a notification if that happened. That's right, and uh, the youth in our study were well aware that that was a possibility, and again, they didn't see that as really a negative, because for them, it was the social signal being sent, and in fact, they spoke of cases where people had uh, taken a screenshot and where they had exercised social pressure by getting their friends to uh, get this person to delete the screenshot because they had violated the social norms of the group uh, by taking a screenshot. And that really is what our research on privacy has so shown in general, both this study and also our broader Young Canadians in a Wired World study, is that youth really do have very well-developed social norms around privacy, especially relating to photos, and they really prefer to rely on social norms rather than technical tools um, to manage their privacy. Are they aware of like the, the legal aspects of uh, them sharing their photos through these different social media platforms? They're not really, no. We, in fact, only one of the participants in our study had any clear idea um, how these platforms uh, make money uh, or what 
the platforms, how the platforms benefit from the photos on them or how they use them. And that is one of the shortcomings of that reliance on social norms is that uh, to the extent that they think about data privacy or corporate uh, access to their photos, they think of it in the same way that uh, they think of how their peers uh, treat their privacy. And so they expect the platforms uh, to treat them the same way. So they expect, for instance, that Snapchat isn't going to save copies of the photos because that's what they expect of their peers. And they expect that uh, these platforms aren't going to use the photos in um, different contexts for things like advertising or to help target advertising towards them because, again, that's something that they expect of their peers, that they're not going to reprint or reproduce the photos out of context. So it's a real challenge uh, to educate them about just how much of their privacy they're giving away to these uh, uh, corporate platforms. Um, And it's a real challenge in terms of getting them to the point where they really are making uh, an informed decision to consent to the terms of the platforms. You know, I, I have to uh, tell you, Matthew, I love the work that you guys do over at mediasmarts.ca. Uh, and this is, uh, I think, an important uh, study as well. But how do you get this information into the hands of the people that really need it, in this case, teenagers? Well, what we do is primarily through our educational efforts. So we have a whole lesson library of media literacy and digital literacy lessons for classrooms. Um, which includes a lot of uh, lessons about online privacy that aim to teach privacy ethics, privacy skills, and about data privacy as well. And we're always developing uh, new resources. We're in the early stages of working on a game to make uh, tweens more aware of data privacy issues. Uh, we also have some resources for parents. Um, we just published a digital citizenship guide for parents to help them understand everything that their kids need to know. And we do have a number of guides that are to be used directly by youth, one that's uh, a really comprehensive digital literacy uh, backgrounder for kids just starting high school and another that we just published this year that's for kids who are about to go into post-secondary or into the work world. Matthew, uh, again, uh, love all the work you're doing. Uh, This can all be uh, had up at mediasmarts.ca? That's right. Fantastic. That's uh, Matthew Johnson, Director of Education over at mediasmarts.ca. Uh, it's, it's important. Like, you know, we talk a lot about privacy uh, in the digital uh, era, and uh, I think it's probably one of the most important topics that we really have to deal with uh, in the coming years. I hope they actually put this in the curriculum at the school level so that kids are, are they, caught. They, they, they have to. It, like. it is just so important these days. So hopefully they'll change that so that they do get some education on privacy online. We still have uh, a lot of tech to talk. Uh, Later on, uh, we'll be chatting, of course, with Christina about her uh, app of uh, the week. And don't forget, you can always uh, visit our Facebook page. Uh, Just look up Get Connected Media. We've always got uh, great video clips up there from our uh, tech TV show and our uh, global news segments, uh, and also lots of contests, uh, which we'll be telling you about uh, when we come back from the break. You're listening to Get Connected uh, with Mike and Andy. We'll be back shortly after this. It's that time of the week, App of the Week with Christina, who's in studio. What do you got for us? I have an app to limit your kids' screen time on their phones. (laughs) Good luck to you. Yes, I want to hear about this. I don't know how you'd actually get them to use it, but what's it called? It's called Marshmallow. Marshmallow. And how does it work? Um, So this is only for Samsung Galaxy devices. I should just say that right now. So Andy is happy today because it's actually an Android (laughs) app. Um. But basically what Samsung has done is they've gamified 
limiting your kids' screen time um, by letting you and them set some targets. And as long as they stay below those targets, they can earn marshmallow points, which can be redeemed for different types of gift cards, like an Amazon gift card or whatever. 